Welcome to Pink Girl Podcast. I'm Alicia Clayton, your host. This is a podcast about women's stories and all things girl power. Hi, welcome to the episode. I'm so excited to have Liz Taylor with me today. Liz, will you go ahead and just introduce yourself? Yeah, hi, I'm Liz Taylor. I'm an illustrator and a mom of a dyslexic son who is now 13. And I also have a neurotypical daughter who is just about to turn 16 in a couple of weeks. So. Oh, that's awesome. Well, we were just talking about how we found each other. I found Liz on Instagram with her awesome illustrations. And I don't even know how I stumbled on you, but I feel so lucky that I did. <laughs> And then um, I love that you reached out. I think I ordered some of your materials, like um, samples, which I love. I'm excited to use them. And um, you happened to mention that you are involved with dyslexia advocacy and um, you helped illustrate a book. So I'm so excited to have you on here. So maybe explain a little bit about your um, journey to understanding dyslexia. Sure. Sure. Um, so my son, Alex, is a 13-year-old, and when he was in preschool, even toddler age, we started to notice things that were just a little bit different about him, and, and not in a negative way at all. Um, he just had this really sophisticated vocabulary, and uh, he started talking really early, which we thought was really funny because the uh, we have an older daughter, and our pediatrician said, you know, expect him to speak later because his sister's probably going to speak for him and he has never let <laughs> in his life but um you know we just we saw uh you know this really sophisticated ability to draw at a young age um so some of those things were really interesting and then as he started in preschool we noticed that um while he had you know the vocabulary and the verbal ability he wasn't connecting to just basic sounds on some of the preschool activities he didn't understand that the letters represented sounds and and he was really uh sort of pushing work away like you know that sort of school work he just didn't want to do it and so you know we were hearing over and over from teachers that well he's a boy and he wants to play and he you know and it was sort of brushed off like that and so when we were kind of approaching kindergarten we just didn't feel like he was ready and i think part of the thing that helped us was that we had the older child and we knew what kindergarten readiness look like <laughs> yeah. and we weren't seeing those those signs in him and so we elected to do a private kindergarten so we could kind of buy a year and see where he was at and then the next year we would either do public kindergarten or public first grade depending on what happened but um he just really wasn't tracking that year and so we elected to do another year of of kindergarten and you know I would say about halfway through that year, I knew something was wrong. Um, you know, and I hate to say wrong, but you know, he wasn't, yeah, yeah, something was off. And so, um, we, um, you know, tried some different things that I was doing with him and it just, you know, I could see like he would have a, he would figure out a word on one page and then that word would show up on the next page and it was gone. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, something's not connecting there. And so then kind of entering into first grade that year, we were prepared to try to figure out, like, I think he needs an IEP and we need to start to go through that process. And um, we ended up in the end doing a private psych evaluation. We did a full psych evaluation and we got the diagnosis of 
them dyslexia, dysgraphia, dyscalculia, and ADHD, and very profound. Um, so it was, it was sort of shocking. And then it was like, okay, at least it has a name, right? Yeah. And yeah. so um, I think I was so relieved to get the diagnosis, but I had no idea how difficult it was going to be moving forward. Because I just thought, oh, okay, well, this is what's going on. So there are things for that, and we're just going to do it. But it's a very long road. So um, we ended up pulling him out of first grade for the second semester and started some cognitive therapy. And then, and then we moved him into um, remediation tutoring for dyslexia. And he's still in that program. So um, now in seventh grade, he's in the last two levels. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So we were talking earlier, um, you know, how you were saying the road was so difficult. I have a special ed background in teaching. And so we always, whenever we had kids come to us and said, that said, the parents said, oh, we think we ha they have dyslexia or dysgraphia. We were always told to say basically, oh, that's a doctor's diagnosis. We can keep that into consideration, but we kind of have to do our own testing for learning disability. Mm -hmm. And um, just like you've said, we just even, that was 10 years ago when I left teaching, but even, um, then it was like even special ed teachers weren't really being trained on what dyslexia was. We were just told, oh, it could be part of a learning disability, but right. no very distinct strategies for public school teachers to use. Right. I think um, we have just a host of issues around that. One is that we don't train teachers in the teacher training programs about dyslexia, even though it is the largest reading disability that captures the most kids. And when you look at, um, you know, kids that are not tracking in class and then they get pulled into additional reading intervention, uh, the bulk majority of those are somewhere on that dyslexia spectrum. Wow. And so what happens is that we have, um, our school systems have bought into curriculum, like the whole language model has been really popular for quite a while now. And, um, you know, it doesn't, work for dyslexic kids mm. and it's not a great it's not a, a great one from really a scientific basis there is um, a lot of research around how the brain learns to read and so um, the things that work for dyslexic children work for all kids if you use that instruction method it will work for all children so rather than capturing kind of what works for maybe 80 percent of kids we could capture the whole population of the school. And so, you know, if you want to have the highest literacy rates in your school, then that one change will, will do that. But what we do is we take this curriculum that doesn't really work and then we have the kids do it in a small group. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if it's not gonna work in the corporate setting, it's not gonna work on a, you know, three kids and one, one teacher. Right. So, so that's a real struggle. And then the other part is that I think there's been kind of this legal thing going on where um, they don't want to say the word because if they say the word, then they have to provide the funding for it, the funding for it. And so, um, you know, one of our big frustrations has always been that we have a title in our schools called reading specialists, but we have never met a reading specialist that had training in dyslexia. So that has been a frustrating thing as a parent as well. Um, so I think it's just, you know, part of that is getting training. And I know like um, Alex's tutor for dyslexia, she goes in and teaches, she does um, continuing education 
classes in school about dyslexia and like how to pick up the science and that sort of thing. And so I think we need to work on that part of it. And we also need to not be afraid to say, say it. And there have been some, some big national campaigns, you know, say dyslexia, say it, it you know, and even um, when I worked on with a group of people here on uh, the, our first dyslexia bill uh, that passed into law. Um, and uh, just in, I think it was 2016 that we oh, passed wow. And you helped with that. Yeah, I, I offered my uh, artistic abilities and I did some, some graphic design stuff and just was part of that group sort of making that happen. And um, so now, you know, legally they have to say it. And so that was the one thing that we've seen is that when you get a letter that says that your child is not tracking for move on when reading, they have to use the word that dyslexia is a possibility. Because I think, you know, if you don't know anything about it, how would you recognize it in your child? So I think just saying the word is a, is a really big deal because there's a wealth of information online. Yeah. And you can go through those, those, those um, you know, early signs. Yeah. Yeah, and there are, you know, some things, I just want to list a few for any parents that are thinking, oh, maybe this is something that we're dealing with. Um, you know, you might hear your kid pronounce words incorrectly, like in the, in the toddler years, and sometimes that gets confused with, like, baby talk, and that's what we thought it was for Alex, but um, he would say uh, marote instead of remote. Mm. He would say skabetti instead of spaghetti, and even like a neurotypical kid, they often say spaghetti wrong, but they say uh, pischetti, mm -hmm. and he would say scabetti. So it's like these weird things where he was hearing, and that, what that means is it's an auditory processing thing. They're hearing, you know, those things wrong, and he still has things that, you know, I'll, I'll catch, like M&Ms. He says N&Ns. Mm -hmm. So he still, you know, there's still those things that sort of, you know, hang up. And then it's like not connecting the letter symbol to the sound is a big marker. And then that, that holistic left-right confusion and, you know, is part of it too. Well, and I like that you, what was, what did they used to call it? You were saying there was a phrase that people used to use for dyslexia. Oh, yeah. Early on, it was called word blindness. Word because, blindness. Interesting. Yeah. Dyslexia does not impact intellect. And so there's early accounts, um, dating way back into the 20s and 30s that um, they would say, well, you know, he was the smartest fellow in the class, but he couldn't see any of the words on the page. Mm -hmm. So they thought it was like a visual issue. And some of those myths have kind of carried over. So, I mean, when we were figuring things out, we, and people try to be so helpful, but they would say, well, you know, I think you need to get his vision checked, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, you know, and that's just like one of those carryover myths, just like some people still think that they see words backwards or they read backwards or, you know, and those are all just myths that are carryovers. Okay. So seeing words backwards, that's not always the case. No. And in fact, um, you'll see that some dyslexic people do flip letters early on right mm -hmm. um and so then that's where things become confusing like your p q b d right because when you flip it it's a different letter and so um you know if you think about you know if you had a banana and you flipped a banana upside down it's still a banana and so i think that's where our, Interesting. yeah so our symbols are confusing i think too yeah to but i i mean we have seen that clear up but when he was little he would check he would go like this to check which Aww. was the B or the D, you know? Yeah. So, you know, some of those things just have to get into the brain a different way. Yeah. 
Well, we were talking too about how like your illustration and your artistic background actually really played a role in helping your son. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe could you just talk a little bit about that? Cause I just love that connection there. Yeah. So, um, well, a couple of things I, um, you know, when, when we pulled him out of school and did that cognitive therapy and then I was homeschooling him, I, there were kind of two things that came to mind for me. And one was that I felt like I needed something for myself because I could tell that dyslexia was about to take over our lives. And it really, it really has. Well, like and you I, said, another member of the family. That's right. Yeah, really it's another member of the family. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I kind of joke with, with my husband. I'm like, when he graduates from high school, I don't even know what I'm going to think about anymore because dyslexia is like top of mind every day. Yeah, but, I bet, I bet. yeah. and so you know, I just had this desire to get back into drawing. And so when he was in his different therapies, I just always had my sketchbook and I, you know, and it's great because I was kind of, you know, building up those skills again and doing something that I really love, but it also helps you kind of work through a lot of things. And, mm, yeah. and then I started taking classes like online illustration classes so that I could have something yeah. that was mine yeah and so in one of the classes that I took we had to do some kind of illustrated map a personal illustrated map of any kind and we had to do these different sketches and so what came forth from that the fruit of that was just something that I didn't know was going to shift things for me in, in my illustration life but I did a day in the life of a courageous dyslexic student and it's a one pager and it shows, I actually have a copy here I can show you. Um, oh. and, and it's a little cartoon of my son. Oh, I love this. And it shows sort of all of the obstacles and, and the opportunities mm -hmm. in any given day for a dyslexic student. And so I did that illustration and it is forever free on my website to parents because what I found is that it's a great tool for an IEP meeting or the first time you meet a teacher, it captures all these things in, in this one illustration. And so I did that and it got kind of shared around and that's how the opportunity to, to illustrate dyslexia land came from, came to me. The author, Sherry Ray, saw the illustration and she said she had it on her, her pin board there. And, uh, and then she reached out to me and she's like, you know, would you consider maybe doing some illustrations for this book I'm working on? And so she sent it to me and it was like, I read the, the manuscript for the first time. And I remember just sort of like fist pumping because it was like this book for parents, you know, there's a lot of books out there for, uh, you know, about dyslexia, but this is like, this is what it's going to be like for you. Oh, <laughs> and, and so that's why it was such a, a great opportunity, I think, because it's like she was just tapping into everything that I was going through at that time. She put it all into words where you would put it into pictures. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's how that opportunity came around. So, um, you know, and we're talking about collaborating on some other things right now too, that are really, really kind of exciting. So that was a, just a fantastic opportunity. I'm so proud to be a part of that. So that's kind of how the, the genesis of all of that. And then, you know, my son has a lot of artistic ability and we have really leveraged that um, for him in his learning. And so that's something I would recommend to any parents that are, are seeing that maybe things aren't getting in a certain way to, to shift to drawing is just, it's, you know, it's great when you're struggling with words to kind of take those off the table. Mm, and so like, really like I shared with you, one example is that, you know, when he was studying the age of exploration, um, we, uh, he used the same app that I used to draw all of my work for my business. But, uh, so he uh, did these digital 
you know, drawings of caricatures of the different explorers. And then he would, you know, do things so that he could remember which was which. So brilliant. Yeah. So for Henry Hudson, he drew the caricature and then he brought in a picture of Times Square. So then he could remember that he discovered the area that's now New York and, you know, the Hudson Rivers there and all of that sort of thing. So we try to leverage drawing things as much as we can. And it really is super helpful for him. It just really, it gets into that right brain that is so much stronger for him. To I to love that. What, what app do you like to use just out of curiosity? Yeah. Procreate. Procreate. Okay. Yeah. I just bought it a couple months oh, ago. You're going to love it. Yeah. You're going to love it. Yeah. It's, it's a great tool. And, um, you know, even when we're doing math, we'll use it. And, you know, there's just some funny things like kind of just shifting a little bit, you know, one of the things that I learned from the various tutors that he had when he was really struggling with dysgraphia is that sometimes they would go from working on paper to going on a whiteboard because you're moving from fine motor to gross motor. And I found that with him that he can write better on a large scale. Wow. So that, you know, just those little tweaks can really make a big difference. Ooh, I love that. Well, and that is just something I'm so passionate is play-based learning that hands-on and, um, you know, with COVID, everything's shifting with education. We talked about this, but, um, I think there's just a a lot of good that's going to come out of it just from education and just trying different things to help our kids learn. Yeah, I I agree. It's been interesting to to see from my perspective. So I have both of my kids in remote learning mode right now. Mm-hmm. And one is in a public school and one's in a charter school. And it's been interesting to watch how the different, how two different schools are approaching the learning. And, yeah. um, you know, this semester it's all live stream. So they just sort of log into their class and they have. And they're just listening live. Oh, mm-hmm. interesting. And that has been really great too. And then, you know, then they can shift to whether their assignment is, online or something that they can do and then like snap a picture of and attach it to so the, you have like the live stream mm-hmm. that's awesome yeah and it's working really well I mean I mean you know my I think my only complaint is would be the same would be the same complaint that I would have in in the in-person setting is that it's just a long day and sure. you know, to break things up more I think is really good for our brains but. yeah <laughs> when we were talking about this too um one of my other passions is online learning and like, how do we incorporate play into it? So it's not just like all this screen time, all these cool apps, which have their place. But I was asking you like, how has online learning been for your son? And you were saying like, it's been so good for him. So that's really cool to see like different. Cause I know for a lot of kids, one of my kids, she like hates the online learning. She gets bored, she loses interest and she wants to like touch, touch things, you know? But yeah. that's awesome that like it's, it works for him. Yeah, it does. And it's nice, like, you know, there's certain things that work um, that have we've had to fight for in the in-person setting that we don't even have to worry about right now. Oh. Like, kind of thing, I should have brought a page of his drawings, but he when, when he is in active, engaged listening mode, so listening to a lecture, he is just covering the page with drawings. Uh, and if he doesn't do that, the information does in. not go in. Mm-hmm. And so, so is that a little bit of a fight to be able to be allowed to doodle and draw while? It, it has okay. been in other schools. Um, I, I don't think the current school that he's in, I don't think it'll be an issue because they do have more um, kids with 
just different things going on. They have more IEPs and things like that. It's just sort of a more flexible yeah. kind of environment, but definitely in um, public school, we, we mm. struggled with that. And, you know, it depends on the teacher too. Sure. And I think the more old fashioned thinking is that right. if you're drawing, you're not listening, which, you know, right. Right. But if you if you looked at my college notes, you would see a lot of drawing. Yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's just I think that it was your way of processing. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's the thing is that we need to recognize the individual learner. Right. Right. And not be afraid if kids look different in their learning the way that they learn and need different things. Yeah. Right. Well, and I think that was one of my biggest concerns going into this year for my own kids is like, I knew there were going to be so many more roles because of safety with mm -hmm. the mask and the cleaning. And I knew that one of my kids, the, I mean, school was already a struggle. So to add the roles, I was like, I've got to figure out a way to like keep that love of hands-on learning for her. And so we kind of do this hybrid part-time homeschool part-time and we have loved it. Just having that time together um, where she's making, you know, volcanoes and we're making Play-Doh. And it's that, like you were saying, it's that creative side of her brain. Yeah. And I think that's so crucial. And, you know, I think I mentioned this before, you know, my, my older child who's a sophomore, she's a, she's a fairly neuro, neurotypical learner, mm. you know, she has a few things that she needs, like, you know, that, that we've learned over time, you know, she, she likes to have a lot of time to review. She's not a crammer, you know, like, you know, there's just, you, you learn things about your kid and they learn things about themselves, like what kind of note taking works for them or whatever. But, you know, all in all, she's been in public school all K through now and it works for her. That, sure. that model works for her really well. And, um, and that's great. And then it, you know, doing something different with a different child, that's great too. You know, it's just, yeah, I think sometimes we think, oh, well, they're going to go to school together and they're going to, you know, like, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. All of that. And it's like, I don't know. I just think, um, you know, we're all individuals and, and different things work for different kids. And, you know, one of the things that I like about the school that we have Alex at right now is that they have a Montessori program. Track. Oh, I love Montessori. Yeah, <laughs> you can it. do that from preschool through sixth grade at that at that school, and then they have you know sort of the you know the typical you know on level track, and then they have a gifted track, and so they're able to automatically capture a lot of different things in one campus. And I and I I just appreciate Brilliant. that you know, and it's not you know we didn't do the Montessori track because you know he moved like right at the end of, of sixth grade. But had I known about that school, I think that would could have been a really neat choice for him. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, so I think that would be something I would pass on to other parents. You know, and it, whether whether there's a learning challenge or not, sometimes it's just a you know the type of person you are that yes. you. Yes. That like you might thrive in that Montessori garden, you know. Garden. <laughs> like, That's a great description because it is a garden. It's that whole wood. It's the manipulatives. Yeah. It's the child-based love. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I think you know just the personality of your kid, and and it's okay if it's different for every single kid you have. And you know it might make your driving schedule. Gone. You're right. <laughs> Maybe your life crazy, but yeah. 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 But I think just uh, COVID has opened our eyes to being able to see like maybe how our kids are learning just because we've had to emergency school them yeah. <laughs> and be yeah. like, oh, suddenly yeah. I know what you're struggling with. Yeah. yeah. And there are so many great resources too. 
that it's not, you're not limited to the school at the end of your street, right? Yeah. There's, you know, there are online options, there are charters, there are, you know, homeschool is great. My, my sister is a homeschooler. She's mm -hmm. homeschooled her, her son since he was in first grade and he's in seventh grade this year and, and that's working for them. And, you know, yeah. I just love that. I mean, like you have to do what you think's best. Cause right. you know your kid the best. Right. You know your kid the best. Exactly. I love that. Well, and tell us, maybe just tell us a little bit about your um, illustration background. Like, how did you come to start your own business? Yeah. Um, so I have actually, a I have a degree in design. And so okay. I spent, you know, a good decade or more in commercial interiors and graphic design. And um, when we had kids, uh, you know, it was like we both had these really big careers mm -hmm. that's how I would describe it. We had lots of meetings and we had lots of places to be and a lot of deadlines and it was just really rough. So, you know, we, we would have, you know, the, the daycare would call and someone would have a fever and mm -hmm. I would call my husband and I would say, what meetings do you have this afternoon? Because I can go get her now, but then I have to be back and you know what I mean? And yeah. it was just, it was this stress that we didn't want. And it wasn't sort of how we envisioned uh, our family to be. And so what we decided was uh, we set a goal to hit these certain financial markers by the time my daughter started kindergarten. And so when she, that summer before she started kindergarten, I left the corporate world and um, I was doing freelance work at that time. I did some I did some interiors, but I never really had a love for interiors. I didn't love that job. Mm -hmm. um, and I enjoyed graphic design much more. And I, and truth be told, I went into design because um, my, I think my parents and people around me, my formative years were just like, you'll starve as you're an artist. Poor as an yeah. Artist. yeah. So I went to like art adjacent and got a degree in design. And so then I did, you know, a lot of years of graphic design work and, and like, I felt like illustration was just always calling, you know? Yes. And, and so then when, once Alex was, you know, I really saw how much he was struggling and how difficult school was. I thought I need to model for him that he can be an artist. Love. And so that's why I started my business. I said, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. I'm going to make a living off of this because this is what I love to do. So I love that. Well, and for him to see you follow what was calling you could help him yeah. with his art too. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's my way of encouraging and showing and, and, you know, truthfully for my daughter too, like when, you know, some of the discussions that we have with kids um, about careers are just kind of um, more sort of pragmatic mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. you know well this you know if you do this for a living then you know you'll make a good income or you know that sort of thing <laughs> and so you know for her like I, I I you know knowing her she is just such a nurturer and I know that she's going to be a wonderful mom and so when we talked about things you know Career-wise, as she's approaching college, you know, the thing that I like to say is think about things that will help you be the kind of mom you want to be. Mm. So what career is flexible for you? Like what kinds of things yeah. do you like to do that might be a flexible career? Because I think that career and parenting can go alongside of each other. I don't love, think love, love. it doesn't have to be, <laughs> to be one, you know, one doesn't other. have to be thrown out the window to, to, to do it well, you know? 
And so, you know, one of the things that I had mentioned to you uh, when we talked before was that um, I, I try to think of living in seasons. <laughs> That's how I kind of keep my sanity. So I have a lot of educational responsibility at home and that that comes with you know kids in general but it, when you have a learning disability thrown into the mix there's extra stuff there's tutoring to get to there's sort of managing all these moving parts there's IEP meetings which can be very painful there yes. <laughs> and a lot yeah. and a lot of prep you know goes into mm -hmm. that yeah. and so I have to manage all of those things and that is my first priority in this season in this and season. so but I have to season will last forever the season won't last forever. Yeah. And so I try to make goals for my business that are, because um, I've learned the hard way. Sometimes I've bitten off more than I can chew and I'm drowning and I don't want to be like that either. So, um, you know, if, if I don't get to Instagram in a week, then I don't get to it. Should I post every day? I don't know. Maybe I should, but it's not going to happen right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's not going to happen right now. So I just try to do things in, in that respect. And, you know, because we are in remote learning right now, that's a lot of my day, yeah. you know. And so, you know, right now on the weekends, I'm doing a lot of drawing. I'm in a, a time intensive career. It takes time to do the drawings, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's not, it's not something you can kind of, you know, without, and, yeah. And inspiration comes when it comes to, that's the other thing. <laughs> you know? Sometimes at the worst possible times. Sometimes at the worst time. Yeah. 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 And so I, you know, I make up for what I lose in the week on the weekend. I try to, you know, you know, do some of my things then. And that's the season. And I have goals for my business that I'm going to get to once we get through some of this other stuff and, and that's okay. Yeah. I love that. Well, and I love, love, love what you said about parenthood and career can go together. You don't. And I think as women, we need to hear that because so often we hear in our culture, you have to choose mm -hmm. and it has to be one or the other, but I am a strong advocate that as women, we can have both. It might be hard. It might be a different season that we have one yeah. than the other, it, it might be complicated, but if that's what we want, we can get there, right? Yeah, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's why we see so many women on businesses now. Yes. Because I mean, I have certainly had those corporate jobs that were not family friendly. I have had those jobs, you know, and, um, you know, I would, I would tell women to run, <laughs> you know, and, and just try to figure something else out. And, you know, and I had to, to, work in those jobs for a while because that was the job that was available. And, you know, when I graduated from college, we were just in like this terrible recession and I was just happy to have a job, you right, know? Right. And you so, you know, things, things happen like that too. And I get that, like, but you can work towards these other things that have more flexibility. But one of the things that I heard a long time ago that I try to keep in mind too, is that I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves about balance. Mm -hmm. And I think that, Amen. You're not going to see balance in a day or a week, but maybe over a course of a year, you could say, man, I had that season with that deadline and I just, I worked my tail off and I, it was just all work. But then we took that great trip together as a family, you know, so those two sort of balance each other out. So rather than trying to, you know, instead of trying to say like, well, my Let's week is balanced today. Yeah. yeah. But to look over the course of the year and to try to carve in that time for, for the things that are important. Love you know, is important too, you know, carving in time to work for me, like on the weekends, that's important. To oh, me. oh yeah. yeah. And it's good for you. Yeah. It's good for, and then you can be a better mom and a wife and a friend when you've 
done what you love too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Liz, so many great wisdom nuggets. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for sharing on the podcast. I will for sure in the comments put your, some of the links you sent me so that people can contact you and see your book that you helped illustrate and see maybe some resources if their own child is struggling with dyslexia. Yeah, or yeah absolutely. Yeah. And I think it, just real quick, like if, if I were to just say one resource to look at, because this goes beyond dyslexia, but if you, if you notice anything with your kids struggling in school, go to understood.org mm-hmm. and it is uh, just a, a plethora of information about all different kinds of things that could be going on. And, um, and there's just a wealth of information. They have great things like, you know, here's some accommodations you should ask for for this. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's a fantastic Write that down for sure. Understood.org. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, I'll include that in there too. Great. Thank you so much, Liz. Really appreciate you being on the podcast. Oh, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me on Pink Girl Podcast. Tune in next time.